This is the Conquer Local Podcast, presented by Vendasta, with your host, George Leith. Welcome to this edition of the Conquer Local Podcast. I'm George Leith, and it is a pleasure to have Steve Whittington on this week's edition. He's the Vice President of Marketing and the Head of Customer Experience for a company called Flam and Sales. It's in the fitness business and the agriculture business in Western Canada. I've known Steve for well over 10 years, and I'll tell you what, I respect him a lot. He recently completed parental leave. When he told me he was going to do it, I sat there in envy um, that, you know, when my daughters were younger, that I didn't get an opportunity to do that. I guess at the end of the day, it was just me. We'll, we'll get Steve's take on parental leave and what it means in 2018 from an executive in a few minutes. But in addition to that, this guy has climbed 49 freaking mountains, one of those being Mount Everest. He doesn't wake up to be second place. I like surrounding myself with people like that. I believe that it makes you better. Steve Whittington is coming up next on a highly anticipated version of the Conquer Local podcast. Well, joining us on the podcast is Steve Whittington, the VP of Marketing and Customer Experience at Flamin' Sales. Steve, you've done a lot of things in your career over the years. Can you fill in our audience on what makes you tick on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. I I define myself in a several ways. I first and foremost uh, like to call myself a, a, a husband and a father, and then I would say I'm a, a leader. I would say I'm an athlete, albeit an aging athlete, a climber. And uh, last uh, but not least, I am very passionate about uh, business and leading businesses to uh, new heights. And how you do that, I firmly believe, is by focusing obsessively on your customers and the customer experience. Flamin is quite the juggernaut in uh, Canada. Can you give us a little bit of an overview for listeners that may not be familiar about the Flamin brand and, and uh, part of your role at that organization? Yeah, for sure. The, the Flamin brand uh, sometimes confuses people because we really have, there's, there's, two, there's two main companies. Uh, so there's the Flamin Shortline Agriculture Dealership and then there's the Flamin Fitness uh, Retail brand across Canada. So Flamin Fitness uh, retail stores, there's over 40 across Canada. And then the Shortline Ag dealership has uh, 10 locations in Western Canada. And people confuse the two, uh, you know, Flamin, Flamin Fitness. But uh, they both are leaders in their respective industries. So Flamin Fitness, for instance, is the largest independent fitness retailer in Canada. And uh, the Flamin Shortline Agriculture uh, dealerships are... uh, leaders in their uh, in size and innovation for what they do like uh the trailer division in the uh, Flamin Shortline Egg dealership is uh, the biggest independent one in North America and uh, has won lots of awards and uh, folks from our company get to go down to the trailer conferences and and we're really leading the way with what we do in that industry and that of course carries forth in all the product lines that we sell uh in that uh, Shortline dealership so that's that's kind of the two sides and, uh, and it makes for a, a really uh, diverse overview for my role because I'm trying to create a brand for both of those. And uh, the further complexity is the multiple ownership structure. So to have one experience across all these different divisions, um, all these different locations, and, uh, and sometimes you're sharing customers. And so you want to make sure there's the exact same experience, whether you go to a, a fitness store in Saskatoon 
or walk in to rent a, a post pounder in our shortline agriculture division just north of Saskatoon. So that's, that's what I do. That's the big puzzle I try to figure out every day. So when you and I have met uh, over the last couple of years, we've been talking a lot about this customer experience and, and the customer journey. And uh, you've been trying to put together um, some technology internally so that you can know um, you know, when your customers are in the store so that you can market to them to come back. You're on the cutting edge of, of your digital marketing. The, you know, the, the name of the po- podcast is Conquer Local. Can we talk a little bit about you know, some of the biggest challenges you've had in the last year or so in conquering local for Flamin sales? So it all comes down to data. Data, data, data. And you need to get clean data about your customers uh, so you can truly understand what your customers are doing and what is important to them. And then I have to amplify that across, you know, 40 plus locations in local markets, uh, in different different marketplaces and get that data to a store manager or to a salesperson so they can act on it and understand how they can, to, to use the podcast name, Conquer Local. I look at marketing as, you know, we have to have a global plan that, rolls down to the local level and then the local requirements have to roll up to the global plan. So it goes up and down both ways. And that's how you create the best plan, uh, which will be for your business and ultimately the best plan for your customers. So to your point uh, about how do we conquer local? Well, it's understanding the customers locally, assigning them to people. So key account management and then managing that life cycle of the customer through data. One of the things that you said when we last met is that you were working on a, a customer service team that would be able to help some of your salespeople scale because you you know you have salespeople that are out in front of customers on on the ag side face to face, but you're really looking to leverage technology to help that organization be more effective. That's right. So we have a problem. We have too many leads, and we don't have enough salespeople. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. So what happens is you end up um, un- underserving a lot of people, which creates a bad experience. So what do you do? Well, you've got your top salespeople. We have salespeople that do four, five, six, seven million dollars per person uh, in in sales. So they, the ones that are in that range, are very strategic about the accounts that they will engage with and talk to. So you get uh, a customer. And all customers are important to us, not just the one that's going to drop $50,000 on some egg implements. But you get a customer that's looking for some water fittings, and they're talking to one of those $7 million a year salespeople. Well, how much time do you think they're going to give to that person for, you know, $200 worth of water fittings? Not a lot. And, and because they get paid based on, you know, their sales volume, and, and they, you know, they eat what they kill. So, the smart ones are going to go towards the bigger game. So you need to do a couple things. Uh, and what we did is we're creating and, and we're still in the process of it. Uh, it's, it's part-time right now and it's about eight people, a customer success team. And that customer success team is filtering a bunch of those initial inquiries, warming them up, qualifying them, and only handing off the bigger fish as needed. And then dealing with a lot of that uh, low-hanging fruit or small transactional type stuff. And we're expanding on that team and having a lot of success with that. And the sales team, the smart ones, the most successful ones, love it because they're no longer having to deal with inquiries that um, aren't a good return on their time. 
And what a salesperson would say is a waste of their time, but it's a return on their time, right? That's yeah, really interesting how you solved that problem and, and uh, what we've discussed uh, with other um, guests. And it brings me back to uh, Matt and uh, Quang from the Alexander Group is you're, you're using a different sales motion so that there is a great experience for that customer because even though they want some water fittings, it could be a big customer and you don't want them to have a bad experience just because it's out of alignment with what the salesperson's commission plan might look like. That's exactly it. And I think if all retail operations, instead of having, you know, saying, okay, well, we've got transactional customers and then we have relationship customers and you really want to focus on the relationship customers and you'll see sales training that goes along that way, like really figure out who your relationship customers are and focus on that. And I'm like, you know what? No, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. If, if all organizations focused on every single customer as the key account, that you were there to solve their problem and help them along the way, what additional business would you get? And what kind of experience would you create? And so, you know, how did we figure out how to do this? We looked at the data. We looked at how many people, you know, weren't engaging with us further. Okay, how many, how many customers do we do business with that just buy that initial thing? Why? Why do we only buy one thing from us and don't come back for three years? And when you can now do more research, you can see on Facebook that this guy's a great big farmer. What the heck are we doing here? We didn't treat them as a key account. You know, it's really interesting. You, you know, coming back to that data, I, I've always been impressed with, and you'll remember that almost three years ago, you and I had a discussion and you were obsessing about the customer experience then. There's an edition of uh, Masters of Scale podcast where they have uh, the CEO of Airbnb and he talks about how they built that company and they had, you know, here's a one-star, here's a two-star experience, here's a three-star experience. What would a four-star experience look like? What would a five-star experience? What would a 10-star experience look like? And it sounds to me like you're using this to drive better experience. But at the end of the day, you're also realizing how to make the organization more efficient. Yeah, I've used that example as well in our training. But one thing I say is, um, here's the here's a challenge. Often, when organizations get a customer that is a 10 out of 10 experience, you had to pay a really steep price for that 10 out of 10. Because what happened is, is that you messed up. And then you went back and you really went overboard to fix your messed up. And now you made it 10 out of 10. And, and I would rather get consistently a whole bunch of nine out of 10s all the time uh, because that costs the company less uh, instead of going overboard to create 10 out of 10s. Um, so that, that's my take on that as an, as an aside. But what we've learned is that it's pretty easy to consistently get that eight to nine out of 10. And it's the little, little things that matter. And again, it's a bit of, it's a bit of um, using simple AI, you can take unstructured data and put structure around it. And here's a good example. I wanted to know just recently how many of our phone calls were considered leads by using AI. So, you know, you can describe the, the recorded transcript and you listen to it and then there's a whole bunch of keywords in there and then, oh, okay, good, that's qualified as a lead. And then you listen to it, you verify it. You're like, yeah, no, this, this, this computer's smart. AI is smart. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and then I'm like, well, how many times do we thank our customer at the end of the call? And so this is what I found. Consistently, 95 to 97% of the time, no matter our division, so we've got grain cleaning, trailers, agriculture implements, fitness, uh, service, rentals, no matter the division, when our uh, call recording software scores it as a lead, a hot one, our sales team thanks them. 
like 95 to 97% of the time, they know it's a lead. So they thank you. Thank you for the call. Right. But then when it's not scored as a lead, because it's more of an information gathering call, they're like, Hey, I wanted to know this. Could you help me with that? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. 50% of the time our sales team thanks them. So, you know, like these people that are just looking for some simple information aren't being thanked, aren't being treated at the same level as somebody that they're going to make some commission off of. So what does that do for a brand? What does that do for customer experience? Well, don't call Flamins. They're not willing to help you out. What if it, you flipped it? So I just want to dig into this a little bit for people who aren't familiar with the technology. Um, What you're saying with the AI is you record the calls, you run a set of keywords against the transcription of the calls, and you can measure whether the rep is saying thank you on a call or not, and then go back to those and say, okay, 50% of the calls, there was no thank you at the end of the call. Yeah. And you, you put it, you put two data sets together, right? How many are considered leads, how many aren't considered leads and what's your percentage on that? AI is not like robots that are serving you coffee. AI is taking a simple thing and figuring it out and applying it to a data set. Do the hours and hours of work that you would have to do otherwise. I mean, that's, that's, AI is really simple to use if you think simply about it and try to find simple answers that can give you profound insights. Like one of the things that we looked at was the length of time it took for, and this is about customer effort, the length of time it took for our customer to get where they needed to be. So again, we looked at recorded calls because we're, we're a very phone heavy company. Like we, we do a lot of uh, communication and transaction with customers over the phone. So it's a, it's a very important thing for us to look at. And so it's like, okay, well, it's taking them this long to get to where they need to be. Well, why is that? Well, it came down to training our frontline reception staff, just a couple of simple questions. And then they were able to move the customer where they needed to be faster. So here's an example. Customer calls in, hey, I'm looking for a trailer. Well, that could be three things with us. They could be looking for a trailer rental, trailer, well, even four, trailer parts, trailer service, or to buy a trailer. So depending on what that receptionist decided to do at that point in time, they could send them to four different people. And I've listened to calls where that poor customer was routed to four different departments trying to figure out, like a hot potato, trying to figure out what, uh, what they, where they really wanted to be. And uh, just by having it right up front, asking that simple question, and we looked at that piece of data, like how long does it take for this customer to get where they want to be? And then you shorten it down. Well, that improves your customer experience. And it's just applying simple data. So what are the measurements of this? I know you've been at this for a while, obsessing about the customer experience. What, what are you seeing as far as revenue increase from that work? Well, we've been at this for a little over, uh, call it two and a half years, and uh, we've had over 15% compounded growth. So I think it was 17% year one, and it was 16% uh, last year fiscal. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to be on track for another 15% compounded growth. And we haven't, uh, we've, we've reduced marketing dollars. We've added a few uh, salespeople to uh, deal with the increased lead volume. But really, I think the message is that because we're improving our experience, more people are coming back, more people are willing to do business with us. And this focus on the customer uh, and key account management has allowed us to saturate our existing customers. So we're getting, we're helping them more, which equals more revenue for us. I'll tell you, 15 and 17% in your industry, that's got to be industry leading. Well, certainly uh, considering the economics we've gone through the last few years, yes. There's another thing that you feel very passionate about, and that is that there's this leadership gap. Can can you talk a little bit about the leadership gap that you see? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
Well, it's getting wider, unfortunately, um, to do with demographics. But uh, the boomers, uh, the millennials are the biggest generation in the workforce right now. And the Xers are probably the highest paid in the workforce right now. And then the boomers are the ones that hold all the power, hold all the money, and they're not transferring their knowledge and they're not letting go. They need to be transferring it not only to the Xers, but also to the millennials. And that's not happening. We're, we're headed for a cliff. I believe the last thing I read is that in Canada alone, in the next five years, there's going to be something like 30,000 plus businesses turn turnover. Who, who's going to lead those businesses? Where are they going to go? What's going to happen to them? You know, there's not leaders ready to jump, on, jump in. Uh, they're not ready. They don't, they don't have the capital. They don't have the training. They don't have, you know, they obviously don't have the ability. So what's going to happen? It's going to be a bit of a sad story. And I've seen a bunch of it happen where these businesses just sort of fold up and that, that lifetime of work goes nowhere. And it didn't need to be that way. If a proper transfer of knowledge, transfer of capital opportunity was actually occurring a, across the board in our society. So that's, um, that's a challenge that our society has to, uh, rise up to. And I, I'm just talking specifically on, on business, but I mean, you look at nonprofits, you look at government, this is, this is across the board. It's, it's a challenge and it's to do with uh, the, 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 the generation sizes. Now, it's really interesting. Uh, just this Friday night, I was uh, storm stayed in the Toronto airport sitting in the uh, Plaza Premium Lounge for my third time that day. And I met a gentleman from Edmonton who was telling me that he was in the process of uh, retiring from his uh, engineering firm that he'd had and built to a $110 million company. And I asked him how long that transfer period has taken. And he says it's a 10-year process for him to move that company to his five managers. Um, he's still going to have a stake in it because he feels that some of them aren't ready yet to take, uh, to take up that leadership. And it seems to be an ongoing story that we're hearing. Yeah. And he's one of the progressive ones. Uh, a lot of folks, they all of a sudden say, oh, well, I'm going to retire. And they start thinking about it two to three years before they're retiring. That's too late. They, they haven't done any of the work required. Yeah. That 10 year plan that, that makes, that gives me hope. That's a sizable organization that has a big economic impact and he's being responsible. And, and that's the word. A lot of uh, business owners and leaders of various organizations are not being responsible in transferring leadership, knowledge, and uh, you know, financial opportunity. So you and I could talk all day. We've uh, actually done that a couple of times. I've got three topics that I wanted to talk about. The first was customer experience. And now I, you know, I wouldn't be a podcast host without hitting this one right on the head. You climb Mount Everest. Can we talk a little bit about that? And, you know, that's unbelievable first off and congratulations, but let's talk about the challenges around that and, and how long you trained. And uh, it's such a great story. <laughs> well, uh, Everest was... Uh kind of a lifelong ambition. And if I would say I trained 10 years for it because I, I went to Everest, not as a client climber, but the lead climber of my group. And uh, so I had no guide and I wanted to make sure that I had the ability to get myself up and down that mountain under my own power and not be dependent on anyone uh, because the risks were so high. And uh, now I, I've, I haven't summited 50 mountains yet. I've summited 49 I'm hoping to do the 50th one this year. And every mountain that I approach is a project and you have to have risk analysis. And the risk analysis is crucial because the consequence is often fatal. So when you look at all this, 
you know, what does that relate back to your life? For me, uh, what it does is it brings clarity. I, I understand impact. So when I'm in the mountains, every moment matters. And the, the challenge is, is that we don't live our life that way, or at least I don't, uh, when I'm back in the real world. And I remind myself of that by going back to the mountains and getting that clarity about really living in every moment to, to bring my best foot forward. And, you know, try to, try to create consequence because there is that in the mountains where it isn't in real life. Yeah, Everest uh, helped me understand what I'm capable of and helped me understand that I, I never want to go back and do it again. <laughs> Just one time. That's it. Just one time. That's good enough for me. So it, it's interesting to me you know, when you say that, you, you know, it's not just one mountain, you've climbed a bunch of them. And, and then that relates back to business. And, you know, when, when you meet Steve, he is a knock it out of the park guy. Like you don't get up to the plate to hit a base hit. You get up to hit home runs and you bring that um, zest for life. And, uh, you know, you want to do 110% all the time. So all of these things lead me up to my next question because you just did, and I, I was reading a blog of yours and it said it was the most challenging thing that you've ever done. Now, this from a guy who's summited 49 mountains, Mount Everest being one of them. He's running this, uh, the marketing for this incredibly successful company all over Western Canada, and you just wrapped up parental leave. So let's talk about that. Well, if you want equality in our society, you have to walk the walk, not just do the talk. And I believe that our society will be better if we truly have equality between the sexes. And one of the biggest ways to do that is by truly sharing the workload when it comes to raising a family. And there's lots of stats around how uh, the careers of uh, females uh, get sidetracked due to them taking uh, maternity leave, the pay gap, uh, and I mean, there's a, whole, a bunch of different factors around that, but um, the responsibility around raising children is one of the biggest factors. So beyond the quality in your society, there's also quality of your life and quality of your kids' lives. Uh, being an engaged dad at a, at a whole other level uh, made me a better person, and uh, it's going to be more beneficial uh, for for my children. So you don't see a lot of senior executives doing parental leave. Uh, in fact, in Canada, outside of Quebec, you don't see a lot of males taking any kind of parental leave. It had been at 11%. It dropped to like 9% and it's climbing back up again. It's just not a thing that happens. And the challenge or the roadblock is, is males. We're not doing it because we've got this thing in our head that we don't do it. It's us. So I, I'm not willing to ever let that be a roadblock. And I, and I, hey, I fully disclose the struggles that I went through. I, you know, the, I come from a northern mining town, so I have a whole bunch of backstory and background that I, that I dealt with. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have an equal relationship with my, uh, with my wife, and uh, I had to walk the walk. What was the what was the feedback from the other senior executives at your company when when you made the announcement that you were going to do this? There uh, there was no pushback. Uh, Flamens is uh, Flamens is very supportive of their staff. I mean, at the end of the day, I took three months off to climb a mountain. So as if you're not going to let me take time off to raise my kids, uh, so that that was never in doubt uh, that Flamen would support me that way. Um, Really, though, that 
the big thing that I see happening is the uh, the younger generation, so the young men at Flamens, the vice president took parental leave. So now it was okay. And a bunch of them started taking parental leave. And I, I you know, I know there was one gentleman that was deciding to take parental leave and he hadn't announced it till he found out that I was doing it. And then he told me he felt okay because he knew I was doing it. And I've always believed that leaders have to lead. So if you want this kind of thing in your society, you have to lead. It made me a far better person. I, I really truly appreciated what my wife does around her household because it totally 110% fell on me. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't understand the mental energy of running a household. You know, I kind of like, ah, you know, I'm a professional project manager. I lead companies, yada, yada, yada. Like, how hard can it be? Well, it's freaking hard. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. And uh, certainly when you got two kids, you're playing shorthanded. They, they're outnumbering you, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough and it's stressful and you have good days and you have bad days. And, and it's just really underappreciated in our society by, by a lot of males that are, uh, uh, you know, old, male and pale, right? Like uh, that old boys club uh, just doesn't quite get it. What was it like for the kids when you went back to work? Well, you know, it took a, it took a while for them to adjust because they really started to, they really were latched on to me more so than my wife for a, a little while. But, they, you know, they're fine. Like, you know, I, I mean, the deeper connection, which is talked about, that's clearly there with, with both my kids now that I took that time. And that's, that's a gift that'll last my entire life. No, it's a, you know, it's a fantastic blog that you wrote. Um, where, where would listeners be able to read that blog? Uh, they can go to stevewoodington.com and they would see that. And uh, then they can link off that for the quest for Everest. And they can read all my musings about my uh, Everest climb there as well. Um, but yeah, stevewoodington.com would be the best place to, to find everything about Steve. Salespeople all over uh, the world now listening to the Conquer Local podcast. We really appreciate everybody that is subscribing. Here is the one more thing from Steve Whittington. And, and I wouldn't be an interviewer if I didn't dig into this because Steve probably gets called on by more people trying to sell him stuff than any guest we've ever had on the program. So Steve, what I would like you to do is maybe just give us a top three or a top four of things you hate from reps calling on you so that everybody on listening to the podcast will not do some of these things the next time they make a sales call. Sure. Well, I'm going to start with things they could do and then I'll go with things they things that I hate because uh, they kind of one leads into the other. So if you're a member of a sales team, what you could do is you could talk to your marketing team and get the clearly defined target market profile of who you're after and have and talk to them about and, and really get clarity around that target market profile. So the leads, um, it isn't just spray and pray, spamming for lack of a better word. So have your clear target market profile figured out and understand that you need to be providing value to the person you're connecting with and a reason why that person will actually give you the time of day or connect with you. So, so what do I hate? Well, I think it's the classic ones. I hate people that haven't spent any time researching the organization or understanding the organization. Uh, don't even know what my role is. So they're like investigating as to who they should talk to. So I get talking to somebody that's looking for stuff about HR, for instance, or, uh, you know, uh, utilities. Hey, who would I talk to about, you know, getting your utility costs down? I'm like, well, the operations manager like, why are you talking to me? Uh, you know, and, and if, if you do your proper research first, I mean, all that stuff is, 
on LinkedIn, it's on company websites, like put some time into it to do some research and, and don't spray and pray and, and, you know, don't just like fish around the organization trying to find the right person that you need to talk to for what you're looking for. Uh, you'll get a lot better results. But uh, the worst thing is not being prepared when I actually do give you a time to uh, do a presentation and then you're not on time, you're not prepared, you, you know, if we had a couple things that we were going to go through, you don't have that ready. You've just, you've wasted both of our time and I don't have a lot of time to waste. So that, that would be my biggest pet peeve of all is when you waste my time. And it seems to me in talking to people that happens more often than not, unfortunately. Yeah, it does. And I, I've, I default to no now, uh, almost all the time, which is, which is unfortunate because I've had some of my best discoveries have been by listening to someone contacting me. But, uh, you know, I just, I'm very careful about who I give my time now because there's been so many, uh, so many people waste my time. Steve, it's a real pleasure having you on the uh, podcast. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. And we'll make sure that we direct people to uh, steveweddington.com. There's some great stuff there. There are some fantastic blogs. And of course, the story about Everest is uh, it's gripping. That's for sure. And we really appreciate you joining us and uh, have a great day. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm sitting here blown away by his takeaways from the uh, parental leave. It's just unbelievable. You know, you got two people in that relationship. His wife is a specialized physician. He's running marketing for, uh, I believe it's a hundred plus million dollar company. It's probably even bigger than that. And uh, he's got two very lucky kids that got to spend a prolonged period of time with their dad um, and opened up the door for other dads to do it. So it's inspiring. The second thing, yeah, let's go climb some friggin' mountains. Um, and let's not stop at Everest. Let's do 48 more. Maybe, hey, why don't we do another one just to get to 50? Um, just an amazing amount of determination in that gentleman. And the other thing is I know some of the people that work inside the organization and they are inspired by Steve and his drive to obsess about the customer. I believe that that is one of the reasons why that organization is growing the way it is. And you can see it just filter through the layers of, of flam and sales. You talk to anyone in that organization and they are dead laser focused on the customer experience. It's uh, always a pleasure to have thought leaders in the space. Make sure that you replay the part where he talks about the things that he doesn't like when somebody is calling on him, selling him, whatever it might be. Do your research. Do your preparation. Don't waste people's times. There's some really good lessons in there. As always, we're looking for your feedback. You can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, you can also reach out to us with what you like and what you didn't like, because that's what's crafting the Conquer Local podcast as we move ahead in the months to come. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King and Jeff Tomlin. Audio engineering, Sound Lounge by T-Bone. Writing by Michelin Gadet. Marketing by Devin Hennig, Michael Gatioan, and Brian Larson. Produced by Joshua Baker. <laughs>